I'm your host, Kit McCarty, and my guest today is Todd Papa Bear Finney. Welcome, Todd. How are you doing today, Kit? I am doing well. So as I'm introducing you, you're telling me that you actually have a different given name than Todd Papa Bear. Tell me about it. Yeah, I I have two uh, birth names. Uh, One is Tokakokepishne, which means fears no enemy. And then uh, another name, you, in our culture, you're given names as you achieve certain things or as you achieve positions. And so recently I was given the name Tachante Washte Yuhao Mani, which means he who walks with his good heart. Mm. Mm. I'm going to ask you later in the show how you're living up to that. But in the meantime, let me introduce you to our guest. Todd Papa Bear Finney is a full-blooded member of the Lakota tribe, part of the Great Sioux Nation. He is one of the recognized voices of the Council of Seven Fires and has been actively involved in and a spokesperson for the first Leonard Peltier Freedom Ride, the Dakota Exile Ride, and the Dakota 38 Plus 2 Memorial Ride. He's been an advocate for human rights and the missing and murdered indigenous women movement. His current passion is the Streets of Hope Outreach in downtown Minneapolis, and maybe we'll get to hear more about that in our show today. He's a pastor and an accomplished singer-songwriter who uses his music and message to address social issues and lead others to God. He is on the executive board of the All Tribes DC organization, and he's on our show today in advance of the Gathering of Sacred Nations coming up next week in North Central Texas. Todd, I see you as a fierce warrior, as a gentle soul, creative and passionate about the things that you do and the people that you love. How do you see yourself? We uh, have a saying called Wichasha uh, is a common man. Um, you know, we have many different positions, but the biggest thing for us is being a good part of our community, uh, being a healthy person with ourselves in sobriety and prayer, uh, and being a good person. And, and really, for me, I'm just trying to live out the paths that were given to me by the people who've gone before me. Um, I was very fortunate to be raised, um, raised in two separate families because I'm adopted, but then I also know who my biological family is. And both families are strong in prayer uh, and faith and have laid down really good pathways on how I can try and be a positive role model in my community and uh, for my people and just to to leave the world better off than I, I walked into it in. How does that look like for you practically? How are you working that out? Um, just by loving people the, to the best of my abilities to try and 
walk in prayer. Um, one of the things that they say that uh, is a meaning for the word Dakota, which is the same word as Lakota or Nakota, it's just accenting, is that uh, to be a good Dakota is to every step you take is an intentful prayer. And so a lot of it is is understanding and facilitating a relationship with God in such a way um, that you try and move through this world um, with kindness, with love, doing what you have to do when situations arise, but mostly making people understand that they're loved, they matter, and they're created with purpose. That's so interesting to me that you're camping on love, uh, because I think very often people consider indigenous tribes, especially the Sioux, as a warring nation. When when did that change for you? We, we've actually always we've we've always been a very hospitable people, except for to those we were attacked by. Of course, um, we actually helped facilitate treaties all across the continent um, before the population crush began. You know, and we had a whole new people coming and pushing everybody together, mm-hmm. um, you know, in westward expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the other translations that the southern tribes will tell you that Dakota means is brother who will die for you. Mm. And so at the core of our belief systems was always being a good family member. It's um, we have a word sentence that says Metakuye Oyasin, which means we are all related. Mm -hmm. And it actually translates to we are we all come from the same originating point. And so at the core of our belief system, it's finding out how we're all connected and how to work together. Um, But also that we have a patriarchal system and a matriarchal system. And the patriarchal side of it is to to guard and protect everyone who's unable to guard and protect themselves. And so we are one of the fiercest nations in the world um, even the Mongol nation actually calls us the, a brother nation, wow. that we're considered brothers because we were such fierce horsemen. Um, the thing is, even in our war at its most basic states, we still had these things like counting coup. And what counting coup was is getting another warrior to a fatal strike and taking your weapon and tapping them on the head with the weapon and then praying over them and sparing their lives. Wow. And you would actually send them to the sidelines out of the battle. And if they returned to the battle, they would be, they would be destroyed. Um, but when they went to the sidelines, the women would actually come up to them with these things called watecha, which literally means to go plate. And they would pray over them and give them a meal to send them home to their, their families safely. Mm. Um, the hard part is, is that, a lot of that didn't fit um, what was needed at the time to take the land. <laughs> so it they, it was, and honestly, anybody who came against us in aggression, uh, we were, you know, we were a horse nation and we were ferocious. So we lived in peace for the most part unless we were attacked. And then when we were attacked, we would respond with whatever uh, violence we were met with. 
you know, as an example, we never, we didn't start scalping. That was actually started by the United States government. They enlisted French trappers. And if you go to, uh, if you Google Austin, the word redskin and uh, government bounty, you'll see the bounty they put in the, in the Austin, Minnesota paper for $50 for every redskin, which was the, the scalp um that was turned into them and so this the whole scalping thing was actually because we were being scalped and so we responded in kind um also the reason that minnesota is known for blonde people um because blonde hair couldn't be taken as a bounty but if you were i were you know if you were italian or had dark hair uh the trappers would skin your they would turn you in for 50 bucks because in the 1800s Fifty dollars was an astronomical amount of money. Wow, so I mean, fascinating story. It's kind of unfortunate, but you know, it's what uh, one of our former presidents would have called fake news because it served a purpose. Mm. Uh, because we had a very large section of land; most of the Midwest was ours under treaty, and many of the other tribes that are recognized in those areas actually speak uh, what's called Suyan dialect, which means it's our language. They're, they're derivatives of our language, so they could speak it and uh, be at peace with us. Um, so were we a warlike nation? Not naturally, but if forced, we became the most ferocious horseback nation that would tie with the Mongol nation. So wow. they actually invented the Gatling gun because one of the cavalry members said, that they couldn't fire enough bullets at us to knock us off our horses. Thank you so much for that history story. That is news to me, and I'm sure it will be to a lot of our listeners. And I so appreciate um, the struggle that the Native Americans had to retain their land um, because they have such a strong connection to creation and to their land. Um, So thank you so much for um, that good bit of information. I want to talk a little bit now about the rides. You were talking about the Lakota tribe and how they were such excellent horsemen, fierce horsemen is how you describe them. When you did the rides, did you ride bikes or horses? I know they were both. It's all horseback. It's all horseback. Um, in our culture, we'll, we'll do these rides uh, where we'll actually ride on horseback so we can pray. Mm. So uh, the, the Dakota 38 plus 2 memorial ride was actually kind of the one that really made them all start um, to, to get steam behind them. My uncle Jim Miller, who recently passed away, is the man who started that ride. And what it is, is it's a 17-day prayer journey where we pray all day and all night as our horses bring us back um, from the reservation that we were taken to, to the hanging site. And then we pray. The theme of it is to forgive everyone everything. And it, it really, when you're talking about moments that change your life, um, I didn't really want to have much to do with that. I had been adopted. I didn't, I grew up in a white family. Uh, my relatives actually joke that I'm the Indian Moses um, <laughs> because I was I, I my family originally comes from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, w- which is where they were exiled to from Minnesota um, because on December 26, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln ordered the largest mass execution in American history. 
Um, it was called the Dakota 38. Uh, two men were later hung uh, outside Fort Snelling in St. Paul because they were uh, tracked down in Canada and drugged back behind horses uh, to be hung in southern Minnesota. Uh, the thing is, uh, we had been pushed to a point of starvation and we, in desperate times, called for desperate measures. And so we decided that it was better to fight and die than to starve to death in places where we couldn't grow food, where we couldn't get food. And that created a thing called the Dakota War in 1862. Uh, it was kind of overshadowed by a thing called the Civil War, um, but it was a war on the plains between the United States Cavalry and uh, people who just didn't want to die. Uh, it was led by uh, a man that I'm related to named Little Crow, who was called the reluctant general or the reluctant chief because he didn't want to fight, but he didn't see any other option because people were starving to death. People were having to uh, pull corn out of cavalry dung and eat grass and things like that to, to stay alive. And the culmination of that war was for them to create a hanging in Mankato, which was the largest mass execution in American history, where 38 men were hung. Um, and one of them is a direct line grandfather of mine. Um, what most people don't know is that many of those men weren't warriors, they were holy men, uh, because they felt that if they could kill our God, then they would, they could... Uh, do that the problem is, is they didn't understand that we believed much the same as them in fact um, my grandfather sang a hymn that all the other men joined in with and were actually singing that hymn when they were hung and um, it was effectively where and most people don't know this but in on December 8, 26, 1862, Abraham Lincoln effectively killed Christianity in our in our nation uh, because all of those men were influenced by a name man named Bishop Whipple, who was an Episcopalian bishop. And so he would sit with them and he would pray and they would look for, you know, meaning behind it all. But there were so many things going on with the Civil War and all of that. It, it came on deaf ears. And so my Uncle Jim had a dream because we're very heavily into dreams and visions. Uh, we believe that we have dreams and visions and then God gives us signs on what to do. And so almost 20 years ago now, uh, he felt that he should take his horse and he should ride from Lower Brule, South Dakota, which is one of the reservations we were taken to when we were exiled from Minnesota, um, and ride to Mankato and pray. To forgive everyone everything. Uh, but me being a city Indian who had grown up in a white family didn't really want to have much to do with it at all. Uh, but my aunt Alberta uh, kept on telling me, you know, you need to go. This is for you. This is for you. And on the first time that I was ever on the ride, my aunt Josette is the one who chooses who we pray for every day. Every morning she would announce after breakfast what group of people we were praying for for the day. And on the fourth or fifth day, I, I just, I, I found myself getting disturbed because 
she would be praying for all the poor and then she would be praying for all of the people who don't know themselves and all of these people that weren't us. And I, I said, Tui, aunt, aunt, why do we pray for everybody else? And she said, no, she's, she said, we always pray for ourselves. They need us. So all of our prayers on this ride are for everyone that's not us. We're here to forgive everyone everything. We're not here to pray for ourselves. We have our prayers. They need our prayers. Mm, so good. And I remember just being perplexed with that because for those of you, those who don't know, um, because we fought the government most ferociously, uh, we, we've been punished the worst. Um, so, like, where I'm from, the average household income is $12,500 a year. The average household is seven people in a 12 by seven, 12, uh, in, in your average trailer home. Um, the only reason that they're called, you know, Pine Ridge and Rosebud and all that is because after World War One, there were so many veterans from those areas that were highly awarded and they couldn't tell them this veteran is from American prisoner of war camp 337. Because until those times they were still called American prisoner of war camps. Wow. And, and so they changed the names. And so when you go there, there's the effects of people who have been trapped, imprisoned on land for, for 180 years. Mm-hmm. You know, or 160 years, and so there's hopelessness, and there's, you know, realization because what most people don't understand is, is it's not even our land. The government leases it to us, so we're not available. We're not able to develop things like industry on there. One of the little-known facts about that is, is before the car companies went to Mexico, they actually asked if they could start putting the car the 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 factories in reservation property and because we don't own our property they had to go to the american government the american government said no and so they went to mexico instead of staying inside the borders of the united states and so when you have the inability to even create industry or have banking you know all of the other things that american freedoms entitle everyone else it creates this vacuum because nothing is yours. The land you don't live on is yours. The things you don't buy are, aren't yours because you don't have the ability to create an industry. Even though we're now doing agricultural things because we had to develop agri- how to develop agriculture on land that was made that couldn't you really couldn't grow anything on. We actually have people who are teaching agricultural tr- tips to people in Israel and other places where it's difficult growing, but we can't create just your average factory to create the parts that we create. We had to outsource. And so to sit there and pray for other people, to realize that you know, my aunt Josette has, has spent all of her lives on reservations, and, and she was more concerned for those 17 days about everyone else in the world than us, because we already had prayer that that bent my mind, 
and it bent my faith. You know, and it started walking me in such a way where I just, you know, you hear those things about attitude of gratitude <laughs> and you just walk in it as best you can because by all rights, my Uncle Jim was an honored Vietnam veteran who got forgotten on the reservation. But he had a vision, and he had prayer, and he had the wisdom to go to his elders and seek that knowledge. And it became the most influential horse ride in the world. It became a movement from one forgotten Vietnam veteran just saying, I'm going to ride my horse and pray. We've been in magazines in China, in France, in Germany, and everybody is curious on why would we pray? Why would we just stay in prayer? And so we're able to tell them because that's the only place we can be. That's the only place we can get close to God. That's the only place we can understand the, our purposes in these worlds. You know, whether it's an Indian world, an uh, industrialized world, uh, anything. That without a relationship to God, we're lost. And to have that come out of so many of my relatives who have every reason to be mad at the world. Like every legitimate reason. And they are some of the most peaceful, loving, caring people who will give you stuff off of their own dinner plate. Just because they know that they have this relationship with God that can't be broken, that no matter what happens, they, they will not lose their relationship with God. And, and so it's, I mean, it's stuff like that that helped me understand who I am because I was a city Indian. I didn't want to have anything to do with that stuff. I didn't ride horses. I rode a bus. I didn't have long hair. I had a high top fade. You know, I didn't understand that our hair is sacred. I didn't understand that all of these things. And for anyone who has any questions about that, Jesus was a Nazarite. He never cut his hair. Nazarites never laid a razor to any part of their body. And Jesus of Nazareth was a Nazarite. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't until the Roman army said short hair was better in battle that people started cutting their hair. And it was interesting because when my grandma argued with me, because uh, in our culture, people of influence have to have braids um, because it's sacredness, because there's three strands to remind us that we should always be connected, that we are mind, body, and soul, and that we should always be connected. And that's why it's always at the base of our head, because it's where, the, where our soul meets our body. And, um, you know, it perplexed me because the first time she ever braided my hair, well, she yelled at me, <laughs> said, grow your hair out for the, I didn't want to, it's hot, it's uncomfortable, I, you know, and she yelled at me and she said, don't grow your hair out for you, grow it, grow it out for all the people who were forced to cut theirs. Mm. And then I hemmed and hawed, but still grew my hair out. And then with the first time she ever braided my hair, she started singing a song, and I realized that the song was actually the, the Nazarite vows in Lakota. And I asked her, why are you singing this? She goes, we've always sung this. 
you know, we commit you that your mind and body will always be clean, that you will always be connected to God, that you will walk one with the one with the earth and the sky at once, that you'll be good to all people around you, and that you will move with the Creator's love, with God's love in such a way that they'll understand that He's real. Wow. And so, yeah, it's one of those things. It's when you, when you start discovering your true identity or where you come from, and it doesn't have to be as solidly as mine is, I, I just, God just made it the way so I could understand all these things. You're able to make peace with yourself. And when you're able to make peace with yourself, God's a lot easier. Because you you understand why you're created and how you're created and what you're created for. You know, and I've had that discussion with one of my sons who is Irish and Indian. And, you know, for a while there, he had this he had this disconnect because of the things that happened. And he so he would say racist things about stuff that pumps through his bloodline. And one day I just looked at him and I said, here's the deal. You come from two beautiful tribal people. You know, you're, you are Lakota, but you're also Celtic. And the Celts had a beautiful culture with their own language and their own ways of doing things, their own foods and all of these things. And it was interesting because once he made peace with that, he was able to make peace with God. And the other thing I was able to explain to him is, is I'm about as full blood as they go. I'm pale because it's winter in Minnesota. But if I'm outside, <laughs> I get real dark real fast. And I just stay that way. I don't sunburn. I just get dark. But for him, he's a walking skeleton key. The blood that pumps through his veins, he's able to influence two different worlds. And that's that's what I think the most beautiful part of America is that people don't understand is it was a melting pot, but it was a melting pot where we could re-identify with our culture. You know, all of the different places we came from. And there are so many people that are walking skeleton keys that don't realize it. You know, my wife's German. And uh, when she was praying in she went to a mission trip to Germany. And when she started praying in Germany, one of my friends that went with her goes, that sounds just like when Papa Bear prays. And it started getting us thinking because she's German, German heritage, and she was on her own soil. And so therefore her blood was crying out to the land, just like the land, you know, the blood from the land cries out. And it was just that connection. And I think that's the big thing um, that Billy Graham pressed into, that he, he was didn't really make that complete circle, was that it's the only reason that I think the words for indigenous people here are what they are is because our blood's been on the land for the longest. You know, when we first walked this earth and we sat there and, you know, started singing our songs, the land didn't recognize us as us. They recognized us as God. We were all created in his image. So when people were in Ireland speaking, you know, uh, speaking Gaelic, they're like, oh, that's the language of God. 
when we're speaking Lakota here, they're like, oh, that's the language of God. And it's not that the land doesn't understand the old, the, the new languages. It's just like when grandma calls you. You don't mistake that for any other voice. You go, oh, my gosh, grandma, how's it going? You know, it's not, it's not some magical thing. It's just the longest connections. It's the longest relations. It's the things that it remembers. And so many times when we start tracing these things back through our history, you find these just solid God moments where there's no doubt that it was God. You know, that one of our wor- one of our series of words that was demonized, we, we, we told every, or the English told everybody that it was, it meant grandfather, great spirit, which was the closest you could translate it to in English at that time. The way that we would say it in English, though, is the father of all fathers, who is our originating point, who is the greatest and most holy sacred. And they took father of all fathers and called it grandfather. And they took greatest, most holy sacred and called it great spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so many times I think as we unhash those things, we're able to tie to these things that are so much older and that are so much just pure God. You know, I have a, I had a grandfather who would tell you that we have more pastors in more generations than anybody knows. And when I, I would often give him crap because at the time I didn't believe I was raised in the church. Um, but I was also raised in a very uh, litigious, very, you know, it, it was the seventies and eighties. So I was firmly concerned that I had no shot at going to heaven and I was just going to burn in hell. Cause that's what everybody was telling me. You know, if you sin, you're going to hell and you got to just grovel before the Lord. There wasn't grace. There wasn't mercy. There was the fear-based thing. And so I had gone about as far away, but I would sit there and mock him. And I'd be like, why, if your God's so powerful, then why can't the church get together? He goes, because we're praying against the prayers that were said here with God long before anyone ever set foot here. You know, anybody else when we were just here. You know, because it's, we have these, you know, we have songs like, Waka Tonka Toka Hea Chaywakiloa Mitaku Yeyo Wani Kacha Chaywakiloa It translates to the greatest and most holy sacred. Fill me with your light and love and send me to all my relatives so they may know of your light and love. And we were singing those things long before anybody else got here. You know, we, so it was this clash of cultures and understandings because we couldn't equitably express ourselves and the people who were translating weren't translating well. And people mistook it for other things. Now, the reasons that the, the, uh, the uh, oh my gosh, missionaries thought we were demonic is because we could call rain from the heavens and we could move the storms and skies because we believed if we talked to God, he would hear us. 
And when they came there, well, that's what demons do. But if I remember correctly, Jesus calmed the storms. You know, Elijah stopped a drought. You know, and so there was this just this disconnect because we looked so much different. But at the same right, the United States Constitution is actually based on the first section of the Haudenosaunee Great Law of Peace, which most people recognize as the Iroquois Confederacy. But it's also the first document that actually starts the way we would start it. Everything else was I King George, I Queen such and such. But we've always been about Matakuyayasan, that we're all related. We all come from the same originating point. Or as the Iroquois would say it, we the people. I am loving that. Thank you so much, uh, Papa Bear, for this great history lesson. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk with uh, Papa Bear about what the future is for his people and uh, for all tribes, D.C. love what Todd Papa Bear Finney says about the melting pot, how important each of us is to the whole. I think that's one of the things that I love most about the Now I See podcast is that each week I get to hear and bring to you stories, ideas, experiences, and perspectives that are unique to my guests and yet part of the whole human story, something we can all relate to in some way. Like I said last week about my conversation with Mary Faust, this interview with Papa Bear Finney is undoing me, causing me to rethink things I thought I knew and learn some important things that I feel like I should have known. I hope you feel that our show is a benefit to you. And if you do, please like, subscribe, rate, and review, and share this show with your friends. Be sure to read our show notes today for more information about Papa Bear and his leadership with All Tribes DC, as well as his work in the inner city of Minneapolis. And check out our socials at Now I See Pod for information about the upcoming gathering of Sacred Nations April 5th through 7th in North Central Texas, at which you'll be able to meet Mary and Papa Bear. Let me also remind you of one of our earliest recorded conversations with Dr. Dale Sims about his experience living with Native Americans in New Mexico in his autobiographical book, Dust of a Distant Mesa. You can find that book and a host of other compelling reads on our website at nis.media. Just click the Authors tab, and you'll be taken to our recommended reading library, where you can find out more about our favorite authors and their works. 
While you're there, check out our featured causes or catch up on any of the other shows, like Dale's, that you may have missed. Use the blog tab or search tool. I can't wait to hear more from our guests today, so let's get right back to it. I'm your host, Kit McCarty, and I am back with our guest today, Todd Papa Bear Finney. And before our break, we were talking about the history of the Lakota people and how um, how their faith drove them to love each other and to care for each other and to build their nation and their family. And I was thinking as Todd was talking, he could be so angry and so hurt, and yet you heard from the very beginning that love is the thing that drives him. Um, and I love his name. He's certainly living into it. Fear no enemies. Todd, do you have enemies? Um, I think anytime we take a stand for our faith or things that go against the norm, uh, you create people who have dislike for you. I'm very fortunate that for most of those people, if not all of those people, once I'm able to sit down and, and have a reasonable conversation with them, um, that I'm able to to uh you know quash that that's part of the reason that uh my uncle actually changed my name to he who walks with his good heart uh because he he thought that would be less it wouldn't put people on their heels as easy as someone has fears no enemy <laughs> well in the time that i was spent with you i don't think that people are your enemies i think mm. you are standing against things like misunderstanding and people who make decisions on the basis of color or race without fully knowing all the facts or seeing other people i think you're standing against things like um murder and drug abuse and um, and uh, oppression and those can be your enemies and I want you to be a fierce warrior against those as you have right. been um, so yeah let's lean into that so um, as part of the outworking of love for people um, you are facing some really big challenges in your ministry in um, Minnesota and you're also facing a lot of and I'm going to confess my own ignorance about indigenous people here. So um, as we as we turn the corner, what what do you see as the future for your people? And more specifically, what do you see the, as the future for all tribes in the upcoming sacred gathering? I think the biggest thing is just taking time to understand each other on a real level. It's taking the time to just um, be and, and listening to each other and, and being able to do it in normal voices. Because I think once, you know, once, once frequencies go up, the defenses go up. And so if we can just take the time to pray together and move together, 
and let God lead it all, I think we can change a lot. You know, growing up in uh, the church that I grew up in, there's a lot of talk about, you know, all the hellfire and brimstone, but there wasn't much talk about the cities on the hill. There was a lot of talk about the scorpions flying out of the ground, but it wasn't talk about the people with the marks of God on their head not suffering those stings. And I think I think we have to understand that the books of Daniel and books of Revelation, they're, they're going to come true, but we also have a God who can move so powerfully that we don't have to worry about that stuff. And if we press together with love, peace, understanding, faith, and prayer, that we can see him move in ways that, that nobody else will see. And when they do see it, they will understand that we serve a God that loves them and is powerful beyond all power. So, so me, how are you seeing um, your involvement in all tribes and your participation in the upcoming event? Um. I will be one of the MCs this year. Uh, my involvement from all tribes was actually uh, facilitated by a spiritual papa of mine, a man named Willie Jacques. Um, the last phone conversation I had with him, which was 48 hours before he passed, he actually told me that he had voted me onto the executive team and explained that um, they need me. And so, um, Good or bad, right or wrong, I see myself being a part of all tribes and I'm very fortunate to have, you know, amazing people like uh, Martha Schmidt and Dr. Nigel Big Pond and Mary Faust and, and all of the different guys, Randy Wade. I mean, just these amazing people who have gone before me and done all of these amazing things. So I, I see myself, uh, being whatever all tribes needs to be within reason. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I think that we're steered in a really great spot where we're understanding that prayer is so necessary and coming together is necessary and understanding each other is necessary. And so that's why we're doing this uh, thing in Texas, the gathering of, of sacred nations, uh, to just start that process. I think I think we've done things like this before, but I don't know if we've ever done this in this way. And so I, you know, it's gonna be the first time doing it. So, and we're, we're gonna do it kind of an Indian way where we're not gonna really expect to have at 9.30, this is gonna happen. And at 9.45, this is gonna happen. And at 10.15, this is gonna happen. Because the easiest way to explain that is, is if you ask my great-grandfather when he was born, he'd tell you winter. And you say, well, how long? You go, lots of winters. Because for us, time is a man-created construct. And we want to live with God as much as possible. And I don't know if we can truly chase the spirit of God if we're worried about what's going to happen in the next 15 minutes. Uh, so it, it may be an upset to a system, but the easiest way that I have to explain that is explain time to me in heaven. If it's, you know, one fifteen here, what time is it in heaven right now? 
so good. We know that God lives outside of space and time. And we also know that other nations around the world, especially African nations, um, also walk with God and um, walk in outside of time. And uh, so it's exciting to me to be able to experience from my own American experience what it would be like to be like a native tribe. Yeah, and and I think it'll be um, good exposure for so many of us too um, as indigenous peoples because each one of us has these beautiful, amazing cultures um, but real talk, most people, what they recognize as Indian is actually our nation um, because we are so large, we are so prevalent. Um, and, and so for me, it's really exciting to see and learn from some other tribes and some people who I've just been able to make friends with over time because each one of our cultures does something a little differently. You know, as example, what you guys mostly uh, recognize as bonnets or you guys call them headdresses, those are very specifically ours. They're very specifically ours. If you look at the Mohawks, it's kind of like a, like a, um, kind of like a derby with the rim cut off, and then you know, beautiful, elegant band. And if you go down south, it's more like turbans and things like that. And so I think it's just going to be neat to see the nuances of culture for all people because we'll be able to come together and speak. And, and really just have some relational time. But we also have some indigenous people from Taiwan coming. A friend of mine from Persia may be coming, you know, so it's not, when we're doing the gathering of sacred nations, I think it's it's hopefully opening the door to understand that every original nation is sacred and, and every procession from that on is sacred. And this is just the gathering of the nations that were indigenous to this land and hopefully that will spread out from there. And so we'll be able to see and hear and feel what's going on all over the continent from an indigenous standpoint. You know, just and, and, and understand the little nuances. You know, like one of my favorite things right now is explaining to, to Mexican people um, that, they're, that they're tribal. They are. Most, most people don't know that Mexico was actually a nation that the Mexican people were a tribal nation, that when the Spaniards came in, they created countries much like Spain, but the Mexican tribes were actually very, very pretty good size. And they traveled all along um, southern, you know, the southern states, southern borders, and deep down into Mexico City. And they had their own language and their own culture and all of that stuff. And so it's in just on the simplest form, one of my friend's daughters said, well, you guys get a, a month to celebrate, but we don't. I said, honey, you're Mexican. And she goes, yeah, well, there's no Mexican month. I said, honey, you're Native American. I said, Native American month is your month to celebrate. No, we're Mexican. No, that was part of divide and conquer. They didn't want you to identify because if the Mexican nation had joined up with our nation and they weren't able to divide us, nobody would be speaking Spanish or English right now. You know, and so it's it's bringing all that together, but also helping all everyone to understand that we're all related, that we all have this purpose, we all have this point, and when we can all learn to live together and move together, God can really move. Amen. 
what my grandpa said. He says, you know, we're all praying against each other. Mm-hmm. You have people praying to God who are praying against each other. And, and I'm not saying that that's not going to happen, but they do it on a whole. You know, whether anybody likes it or not, the past few elections, Christians have been divided and been praying against each other. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, for politics, I prefer one of my other grandpas who says right wing and left wing is all part of the same bird and we need to move closer to the heart. Because if That's we move deep. closer to That's God, good. God's going to show up and it doesn't matter if it has an elephant or a donkey or if it's red or blue if it's jesus that's all that matters and so i think as we do these things and as we come together we'll be able to see each other as people and i mean maybe be able to understand each other and start doing simple prayers together you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to that at the sacred gathering uh, that is coming up in April, April 5th to 7th. And you can find out more information on that by visiting www.alltribesdc.org. So if people have enjoyed this conversation and want to get in touch with you to continue learning about you and the work that you do, how can they find you? Honestly, Right now, Facebook is probably the easiest for me. I keep my page public so people can communicate with me and send me messages. Uh, There's a bunch of different ways. My daughter is actually helping me set it up because I'm just uh, lucky enough to be able to use my cell phone for phone calls. And so she's helping me do all that. So there will be other connections up and running shortly, Um, but I've never been a big proponent for that. I like personal contact. I like being touchable within reason. You know, I don't want a phone call at 4 a.m. to ask me how I'm doing, but I will happily receive a message on Facebook to just be like, hey, what are your thoughts on this and that? And I will say that I do get a lot of messages, but I do respond to each one. Sometimes it just takes a little time. Well, I found you on Streets of Hope Outreach on Facebook. Do you have a Todd Finney page or a Papa Bear? Okay. Okay. I also okay. have a Papa Bear Preach page because that's uh, my two nicknames smashed together. <laughs> I love it. Good. Well, we'll make that information available in our show notes. Okay. As we close out our show today, is there anything you'd like other people to see more clearly as a result of our conversation? I'd like them to see more clearly that every single one of us is created in God's image. And our, and our job is to to call out that. Our, our job is to call out the pieces of God that we can see in them in such a way that it helps them create their identity. I've watched so many people's lives be changed that I, I can't even count the numbers simply because we took the time to give them hope because they were seen as who God sees them. Because when we speak the truth over them, their soul can't deny it. They can physically say, no, that's not me. But their soul can't deny it. You know, recently, I had someone uh, living in one of the alternative lifestyles who I, who I love very deeply. And during the riots, uh, Streets of Hopes is heavily involved 
in Minneapolis um, because I'm originally from the south side. If you saw the riots, uh, the riots were in the neighborhood that I grew up in. I was out in them for all four days. I, uh, I, I literally watched my childhood burn. And one of these people who I, I love as a daughter, she calls me dad, I call her my daughter, just because in, in our culture, we don't believe in orphans. So if we see a child without a parent, or if we see a child who has a parent lacking, we say, you know, we go through a process, even up to asking the, the parents if they're available. I don't want to replace you. I want to come alongside of you. I just want to be a, an additional because that's really what it's about. It's not about hearing from one person. It's here. It's about having this whole family. And even with my, my spiritual kids, I tell them, find as many other spiritual fathers as you can. Find as many other spiritual mothers as you can. Because if I go spinning off the rails, you want to run over to Dave Hauer and you want to be like, Dave, I don't think he's right. And she's like, okay, kid, you're right. Your dad's not okay, but just I'll take care of you right now and we'll help him. Because it's about creating that family of God, a real family of God where people are lateral. Jesus said, who is my brother? Who is my sister? He didn't say, who's my stepbrother, first brother, second brother, third brother. He, he just went direct. And so with one of my daughters, she called me and she said, hey, dad, do you want some coffee? I said, honey, I'm in the middle of a riot right now. Riots just popped off. And she goes, I know I'm 100 feet from you. And I said, well, why don't you just come over and say hi? And she said, I saw you with other pastors and I didn't want them to judge you because of me. Wow. And I, I told her, I said, you're my daughter. I love you. You know, and we went out and we had coffee and all I did was reaffirm to her who she was to me, that I loved her, that she was created in God's image, that I would always be there for her. And if they had a problem, it was their dang problem. It wasn't mine. I don't care. You're my kiddo. I am going to, I don't ever want you to be in fear of that. I won't go into the story too much, but her life has changed quite drastically. Um, she, she now identifies as a woman again, and she's dating a man. Amen. And, and it wasn't because I sat there. She knew that I disagreed with, with where she was and what she was doing. But I'll also tell you this. At one point, she wanted to get married, and she asked me if I would do the, cer the ceremony. I said, no, I can't, honey. You know where I stand in this, but I will help you find somebody. And two days later, she broke it off with the person that she was supposed to marry. And I actually had the realization that if I had said, no, I'm not coming, she probably would have done it just out of rebellion. And so... It's one of those things where just take the time to see everyone around you as God made them. And whatever God tells you to tell them that is truly God, that they're created in God's image, that he loves them, that he would sacrifice anything for them to just be close to him. Create that connection to anyone around you because it's not your job to fix them. Billy Graham said it best when he said, it is God's job to judge, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and it is my job to love. And if we start acting like Jesus did, 
if we start truly loving people in such a way that we know that they know that even though we may disagree with where they're at or what they're doing, but we will love them, we will hug them, we will tell them that they matter, and we will pray over them. I think we could see a change in the world so much faster than we really believe it could happen. Absolutely. And I love what you said at the very beginning. We are all coming from the same point. And that has certainly been the vision of your life and the outworking of the work that you do. And I'm so, so grateful for that. Thank you for that powerful story. Good reminder. Well, this has been such an important conversation, and I'm so glad you made time to have that with me today. I can't wait to share this with my listeners. And listeners, we'll see you again next week. Sounds good. We're so glad you were able to join us for today's eye-opening interview. You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website at nis.media. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise and to Joel Salazar, who created and performed the new Now I See theme song. 